Hi friends, I'm Pastor Jim and welcome to Faithbrook. Maybe you're watching us online or you are here in person. Now I'm not here in person because the church has given me the luxury to just take a little break, a mini sabbatical for the month of July. But I get the opportunity to give greetings and invite you to let us know who you are, especially if this is your first or second time. Because part of our tradition here at Faithbrook is just to give a, a thank you note for giving us your time and a chance to worship. The best way that we get back with people is that is through this blue card that is in front of you in the seat in front of you. It's called our connection card. Uh, if you'd be willing to give us your, your name, your email, then this week we're going to drop a note to you to say thank you. Uh, take this blue card, put it in our offering box on your way out, and we will get the information. At the same time, we're going to make a $5 donation on your behalf to the local food shelf just to share because there's needy people in our area. So would you be willing to do that online? You can go to our website, faithbrook.church slash guest, type that in, and there will be a form that you can communicate with us. Well, I wanna invite you to a special event happening in downtown Maple Grove, July 25th. It is called a Night of Worship. This hasn't happened in a long time, but we are part of a collaborative effort of like-minded churches to raise the level of Christianity and Christ in our area. So Maple Grove has a wonderful amphitheater called the Town Green, and uh, we're gonna bring some worship teams together and just have a night of praise and a little bit of encouragement. So we're gonna be there, Terry and I and my family. I'd love for to see you there the 25th. Now, everyone is encouraged to bring some kind of non-perishable because we're gonna make a big collaborative donation to Cross Food Shelf. It's gonna be wonderful. Well, I hope that you are encouraged through this series, The Summer on the Mount. Pastor Mike's going to continue with an inspirational sermon in just a little bit. God bless. Well, I just have a little question here for you this morning. If you could just show me with the raise of hands. Does anyone here ever consider themselves as a cold-blooded murderer? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. Not me, me either. That's not me. Now, maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask the second question. Maybe this is a better question. Does anyone here ever uh, get angry at other people? Is there, do you ever get mad at someone? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe some of you might get mad at your spouse. You might want to raise your hand. That's me. Uh, maybe, maybe you get mad at your kids, if you have kids. Is that you? Um, how about friends? Maybe there's times you get angry with your friends. Uh, maybe a coworker. They do something real dumb. Uh, or how about this? I think this might apply to everyone. How about that random person on the road who cuts you off? That, that anyone here? Get mad at them for doing something uh, like that. You know, it might be uh, just the influx of people from Southern California into Minnesota, and that's why we have so many bad drivers. I don't know. Maybe that's what it, that's what it is. Well, what if I were to tell you that according to Jesus, according to Jesus, your very anger could be just as bad as committing murder? What if I were to tell you that? Now, most of us might hear that and think, well, that sounds a little crazy. Maybe Jesus is overstepping his bounds a little bit. But uh, just as Jesus brought up this issue in this day, his listeners, their ears perked up when they heard. Maybe uh, like most of us hear when we hear that. Uh, and and uh, the tension that we have is that uh, today we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, most of us, that some of us, that we will find that we are closer to being murderers than we realize and what we can do to avoid it. 
Well, welcome back to our series called The Summer on the Mount. Uh, if you haven't heard, my name is Mike Delgallo. I serve as a Connections Pastor here on staff, and I am filling in for our lead pastor, Jim Comfort. He is on sabbatical for the rest of the month. He hasn't had a, a real break for over 10 years, so this is a great chance for him to get away, to refresh, replenish. So uh, you, get, you get me for the next four weeks. So uh, if you're bringing in a pillow and you're falling asleep, I totally get it. So here we are. Well, we are, uh, we are, we are here. You know, for us, we're here on site. It's so good for those of us who are online and maybe some of us who are watching later in the week on demand as well. Either way, we are going through the series, The Summer on the Mount. Now, this series, we are uh, going through Jesus' famous sermon through the chapters uh, of Matthew and chapters 5 through 7. This is uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the longest sermon that was recorded that Jesus uh, went through. And uh, it went through a lot of iconic teachings, such as the Lord's Prayer. You might be familiar with that. Also, a lot of teaches uh, on ethical standards and also uh, how to live and process life. And this uh, series is really built on, we went to the end of chapter 7. And what he does in the end of chapter 7 is he challenges his listeners to not just be hearers of his word, but doers of his word. And he says that when we do what he says, we are like a wise man or woman who builds their house on the rock. And what we found is that when we practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. We found that when we practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. And so now for the rest of this series, we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be discovering how we can be followers of Jesus. Now, the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Jim talked about what it is to live authentically, and last week we talked about what it is to be salt and light as the, the church. Now, if you haven't had a chance to uh, watch or listen to the, uh, these sermons yet, I want to highly encourage you to go back and watch those and catch up. It'll definitely be worth your, your time. But for today and the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring Jesus' words concerning how we are to treat and interact with one another, and more specifically within the church. What, what do those relationships look like and how do we interact with one another? And in, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings up topics that are, have uh, potential uh, for controversy, not only in his day, but I think for our day as, as well. And the four things that we're going to be talking about are murder, adultery, uh, retaliation with others, and our attitude towards enemies. Now, when you first hear this, you might think, well, those really don't apply. I don't necessarily know if I have ever done murder. I'm not sure. And adultery, not sure. I really have retaliation and maybe uh, don't really have any real enemies. So how does this apply? Well, I want to encourage you that is, uh, to just lean in. I encourage you to lean in and listen in because uh, you might be like uh, myself and you might think that there's no way it applies. But uh, as I have learned just through my own study, that it, there is a lot of good things and a lot of good nuggets so I want to encourage you to lean in. Now, I think for a lot of us, when we look at the topic of murder and we think about murder, uh, I think we can all unanimously agree that just murder is wrong. You know, we just don't go around doing that. And, but I think, uh, I think something deeper is, you know, what is, is Jesus getting at something deeper? When he says don't murder, is there something deeper going on? Is there something that he's uh, really trying to, to get at? Is there something that really applies to all of us, especially when it concerns following him? Now, I think there's this tension, right, that comes up, and, and we hear this command, don't murder. And uh, what I think we're going to see is that it really is applicable. 
And I think we can have a new perspective. I think we, we can see something new in light of this. And I think what, um, what would be is so good for us to, to know and understand is that uh, when we realize what Jesus is getting at, it can dramatically affect our relationships and specifically our interpersonal relationships uh, with our families, with our coworkers, and even uh, those of us that we interact with on a daily, on a daily basis. So what we can see is that this can dramatically affect our lives and uh, really uh, have an effect on how we can really live out and being a follower of, of Christ. So the, the real tension in the whole series is really this, is what, uh, what we learned from the first week is, are we, do we really take his word seriously? So when he, when he commands something and when he tells something, do we really believe he's saying what he says is, is true? And are we actually going to follow through with it? Are we going to be uh, a person who, uh, who is wise and builds on the rock? Or are we going to be someone who is foolish and build their house on the, the sand? And I, I really, truly believe that Jesus gives us these challenging words because he wants us to be wise people who build on the rock. And hence why he gives us these, these words. So today we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 5. And you can go ahead and pull out your Bibles. I know some of you have brought a, an analog one, which is a, you actually open it up and you read it. It's a physical book. Uh, some of you are like myself, where you have uh, you have on your phone. I go to the YouVersion Bible app. That's what I do with my daily reading. You can go pull it up there. But we'll be going to Matthew chapter 5. Now, as you go there or click there or find your way there, uh, if you also don't want to follow, you can follow on the screens. But as you're finding your way there, uh, I just want to give a little bit of uh, background and just kind of uh, prep us for, for today and for the next four weeks. So we're going to hear a couple phrases Jesus is going to say that's going to be repeated over the next four weeks. He's going to say two phrases that he's going to repeat. And the first one that he says, he's going to say, you have heard it said. Now, the reason why he's, he, he says you have heard it said, uh, because uh, the phrase he's going to bring up, he's going to bring up something that uh, in that day would have been a law, and it would have been something from the Old Testament that would have been a command that would have been lived out. But it was, uh, you've heard it said, because what had happened, it, there would be words added to it. There would be something that would be added that uh, really wasn't in the Old Testament, but it was something that was added verbally or uh, would have been something that would have been memorized on addition to what was already written. You know, I think for today's day and age, we have some phrases that are, are like that. Uh, maybe we've heard uh, the phrase, godliness is next to cleanliness. Maybe we've heard that. Or maybe we've heard, God helps those who help themselves. Now, just an FYI, those are actually, those do not exist in the Bible. Those are just things, just clever little pithy things people have said, and it just sounds good, so we think, oh, maybe it is in the Bible, but it actually isn't there. So it's sayings like that that just kind of got passed down, and we, we hear and we think might have been in the Bible, but it really isn't. So Jesus is really kind of pulling at some, some of these kinds of sayings that are like that. Now, when uh, Jesus will then say uh, something like, you have heard it said, and then he juxtaposes that, he puts that next to uh, what he says, it is written or it is commanded. So when he says it is written or it is commanded, that is actually the word for word, that is actually what is written in the Old Testament. So you have the, you have said, and this is what is written or commanded. And so the, there's the, the difference in those, those things. Now, when Jesus is coming here on the scene and he's bringing up these issues, uh, he, he's not really trying to get rid of the Old Testament. Uh, you know, sometimes we think that Jesus comes along, he's just kind of wiping away everything from the Old Testament, it doesn't apply. Well, that's not the case. In fact, we learned a few weeks ago that Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, and he says that everything applies, everything is important. 
Uh, now, the reason why he says this is because uh, in that day, false prophets would show up. So people would claim to be a savior of Israel. People would claim to be someone who was uh, the savior of Israel that was going to deliver them from the Roman Empire, that was going to reestablish the nation of Israel and bring in the glory. Hallelujah, right? So, so people come in and they'd be false prophets. And what they would say is they bring a new word from God. Right? They would say, hey, here's a new word from God. And they would, they would try to wipe away what was said and bring in something new. And so Jesus is really saying something different. He, he is differentiating himself from these false prophets and saying, no, no, I'm not wiping away. In fact, I'm fulfilling. And so that's something that differentiates him from the, the other false prophets that had popped up before, before him. And the next last thing he says, he says, but I tell you. We're going to hear this phrase, but I tell you. Now, when he says these things, he says them with authority. He says them uh, in such a way that it's almost on par with God. This is almost the words of God. And for these Jewish hearers, these people that are following him and that are sitting uh, down listening to the sermon that Jesus is giving, they, they have a, a Jewish background. They know the, they know the Old Testament. They know, they know all the stories. They know all the things. They know all the things of the prophets. They know him. So when Jesus says, but I tell you, he, he, he's really reinforcing the words of God. So he's putting himself on par with God himself. And so that also perks their ears up because no one is God. Only God is God. So there's, there's a lot of different tensions that are, that are coming, coming in here. And lastly, as we, we go into this, as he's going through this, uh, this, uh, this section uh, that he's going through, uh, he, he brings up, he says that uh, your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. Now, why is that important? Well, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jim talked about this. And, and the reason this is so important is because the, the Pharisees were like the pastors of the day. So it would have been like myself and Pastor Taylor, Pastor Jim. We, we would have been the Pharisees of that day. We would have been the people who were the teachers. And they, these Pharisees were the model. They were the model example. They tried living out the law perfectly. So uh, there were 613 commands of the law. They attempted to live out every single law every single day perfectly. Now, the way it was set up is it's almost impossible to set up, and we're going to find out in a minute uh, just why that's so difficult. But it's, it's almost impossible to live out the law. That, that's why it was there, and uh, it was there to show the holiness and the standard of living was just so high. You just couldn't fulfill it. But these Pharisees, they tried making it in such a way that it could be livable. You see, they thought the, the law was a yoke. They thought it was a burden. They thought it was too hard to live out the law. So they wanted to make it livable. They wanted to make it manageable. So they would create a commentary to go along with the Old Testament. And so with this, you have the Old Testament and they have their commentaries that would kind of go with it. So when Jesus says, it, uh, you've heard it said, he's, he's, he's talking about these commentaries that are going along with it. It's not the law. This is just a man's commentary. This is your comments. It's not actually God's words. So these, these Pharisees have this commentary on how to make the law livable. And the reason why they want to make it livable is this, is they, they firmly believed that if the whole nation of Israel were to live holy for just one day, that if they, could, if they could live without sin for one day, if they couldn't break one command, if the entire nation could live out all 613 commands in one day, they could live it out. They believed that the Messiah, the Savior, would show up and that they would save them and redeem them. That, that's, what they, that's what they believed. So they, they really tried to make it in such a way that was livable because that's what they believed. They believed that the Messiah would show, would show up. But Jesus really, uh, the, the controversy is Jesus calls them to a righteousness beyond that of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the model example. Jesus saying, no, your righteousness, the, the, uh, the way in which the holy living that you have needs to exceed that. It needs to be even better than that of the Pharisees. 
And of course, you might be thinking, well, I don't know how that's possible. How am I supposed to be holier? How am I supposed to live better than a professional Christian or a professional Jew? Uh, a Jew? How am I supposed to do that? And that is, the, that is what uh, Jesus is bringing up is, yes, you are supposed to be uh, holy. You are supposed to live a godly way that is much more that of the Pharisees or of the, the pastors of that day. And so uh, Jesus is really getting at it. It's not about these rituals. It's not about uh, just going uh, through the, the actions and emotions, but it's really he's getting at is a, a change of heart. And he, he's really getting at this hearers and doers. Are they being hearers and doers of the word? And it's not just going through motions, but it's really uh, having this, uh, this heart change, is that we're doing the things because we really believe they, they, uh, they are what they say they are. And see, the Pharisees were just going through the motions, they just went through the motions. They just did the things because they wanted to appear that they were righteous. There was no real change of heart. So Jesus is addressing this. Jesus is calling this out in front of everyone in this big sermon. There's a whole bunch of people sitting here listening in. And Jesus is coming with this sermon, and he's really challenging the Pharisees on this. So with that context, let's go ahead and jump into, uh, the, the, as we continue in this, this sermon, and what he talks about concerning murder. So he says this, verse 21. You have heard it said that, uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So Jesus brings up murder. Now, the, for, for the Jews, they, they knew that this was the sixth commandment, six of ten commandments that was given. Uh, this is written in Exodus uh, chapter 20. And at first when we hear this and we hear, see it written, you go, oh, that doesn't seem so bad. That, that seems right. I mean, I think that's what it, it says. Uh, it sounds like good advice, right? You agree with that? Now, this is also a slight allusion to uh, Numbers uh, chapter 35. That's also in the Old Testament. And, that, and this says that whoever kills a person shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. So that means if, uh, if someone were to uh, commit a, a murder and you and a buddy witnessed it, you could actually uh, c uh, get them convicted of the crime because you witnessed them uh, going through it. Now, with this description of the law that you have heard it said, there Jesus says it again, you have heard it said. Um, you know, the, the, there's these scribes and Pharisees, uh, these people, they are, they are restricting the application of this to literal murder. So uh, when it says, you know, shall not murder, they're saying, okay, it's just uh, don't murder. Don't go around killing people because that's bad. So uh, if you don't kill someone... You're good. You fulfilled the sixth commandment. You're doing a great job. Now, if we think about it for a second, if, if that is the case, I, I think for most of us here, I think for most of us online, we probably aren't going around committing murder. So we're pretty much off the hook. But it, it's, it seems that like breaking it would be very rare. So why would that be a commandment in the, in the first place? And you have to almost ask, you know, is this really what God was getting at? Is this really what the heart of the issue is? And we're going to see in just a few moments here that Jesus is going to say three ways that this commandment or law is broken more often than we think. And I think that applies to myself and you as well. So he continues in verse 22. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister without cause will be subject to judgment. He says, but I tell you. So now he's, he's correcting what it is. Uh, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, uh, for one moment, the brother or sister here is not your family. It's talking about the, the, the Jewish community. So in this instance, it would be our uh, brothers and sisters here at, uh, in the church community. That's, that's who he's addressing. 
And uh, we'll notice that without cause uh, here is in parentheses. And the reason that's in parentheses is because some translations have it, some don't. The, the word in Greek is really, um, uh, it's, it's there, but it's really emphasizing. And, and without cause is really an important distinction. The without cause is meant that, uh, you know, is your anger just? So it's not that anger is inherently bad. It's like, what's the heart behind the anger? And so the, uh, the justness of it is this, that um, we, we see that just anger is that which is directed to a good end or maybe even uh, to, the, to God's glory. If it's to the back of something good, then it's great. We uh, might read through the Gospels that we saw Jesus got angry a couple times. There's a time where he's uh, in the temple and he's flipping over tables. There's a time where he pulls out a whip and he's whipping people and he, he's pretty angry. And we go, well, well, I thought you said you're not supposed to be anger, but this was a, a godly anger. This is a righteous anger. And it was a, an anger which was to um, a good end. It was to something good. The kind of anger that, we're, that he's more specifically addressing here is one that's really about uh, selfishness. It's really about an anger that is self-centered, that is egotistical and nar- narcissistic. So that's really the kind of anger that Jesus is really talking about. That's the, that's the, without, that's the without cause here. But he says, you know, uh, but anyone who is angry, uh, you know, is, is uh, subject to judgment. Now, if we think about this for a second, uh, anger just seems a lot different than actual murder itself. But if we take a, a moment just to think about murder itself, generally murder doesn't happen without anger, right? Uh, it, it happens, uh, those, those go hand in, in hand. And, and what we find is what Jesus is really getting at is to this, the, this real sin is that it is right here, is right here in the heart, that we see that the, the sin of murder really begins in, in the heart. It's not just the, the act, the physical act of, of taking someone's life, but it's really the emotions going on in, in the heart. Now, the, the reason this is, this is an issue is because the Pharisees were only concerned with physical murder, right? They say, said, if you're only committing murder, then you're good. You're fulfilling, you're fulfilling the law. Great job, everyone. But no, what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 there's really an issue with the heart. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. They weren't dealing with the heart. They were dealing with the external actions going, going on. But Jesus continues. He, he, he continues. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, raka is an Aramaic term. Is a, uh, they they had a, they they switched between Hebrew and Aramaic in some of the language spoken in that time. So uh, raka was this term which would be translated to idiot, be like calling someone an, an idiot. Uh, it also could be empty-headed, is the literal translation. Uh, but now the the problem with calling someone a name, name calling. You know, you might have heard when you were younger. Uh, you know, don't call your parents. When I said, don't call someone a name. Uh, don't uh, call someone a dummy. Don't call them stupid. Don't call them uh, an idiot. And and uh, one thing, it's not nice. <laughs> you don't want you don't want to call someone that. But second, for this culture in this day and age, and in a lot of Eastern cultures, n- name calling is a is a big deal. Because the name that someone was given at birth was, had, had heavy weight, heavy significance, and it really, uh, really means a lot. So uh, for my family, uh, names uh, mean a lot, especially for Jen and I. And the reason why we, we named our little baby girl Evelyn is because it means um, wished for or prayed for a child. And she was a child that we really prayed for. So when uh, translated, that's what that means. So for us, the name Evelyn means a lot, and we hope that it carries with her. Now, I think for most of us today, when we think of our name, we don't really see it as part of identity. We really don't see it as something that we really carry on and we live out, that we see that was calling, uh, that really drives us to, to 
who we are. We don't really tie our name to, uh, to our identity. But for them, they did. And so to give someone another name, so to call someone an idiot and give them a new name is something you just didn't do. It was a, it was a real big insult. And so you, you just, uh, that was uh, something that really changed their identity. So you're changing, it would be like calling Evelyn an idiot, be changing her name from the wished for or prayed for child to empty-headed. I mean, so now if you're thinking of her, her identity, is this one being prayed for or is this one being empty-headed? And you really start to see the significance of like, ooh, that could really damage someone. It could really have some, uh, some, some weight. And so what we're seeing here is that this, this anger issue here is now moving from the heart and now out to the tongue. Right? So now we're not committing physical murder, but now there's a sense of, of murder of this reputation. Now there's a murder of uh, this person's emotional, emotions and their, and their psyche. Oh, Jesus' brother, James, he writes uh, a letter and, in the New Testament, and he even says that the, uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and he says that our tongues have the power to bless people or to curse. And, and there's this real powerful thing that with our mouths, uh, we really speak out of what's coming out of our hearts. So if we have anger, if we have this thing, it's going to come out. If it's not physical, it could also be uh, through our, our words as well. And this is what Jesus is getting at. And then he really drives the point home again as he continues, and he says this. He says, and any Anyone who says, you fool, it will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, you fool, uh, this, this uh, translation is uh, not much different than, than Raka. It, it, it kind of has the same idea of calling someone an idiot. But really, it's uh, this idea of being foolish or, or stupid or mindless. And, and for the, the Hebrews, for the Jews, the, the word held a little extra significance. And what it meant was it was a, a translation for the word uh, rebel, to be a rebel, to rebel against someone. And so if you were to call someone a rebel, uh, we think now today, uh, maybe some of us grew up uh, watching Star Wars, so we know the rebels, and we think, oh, that's cool, I want to be a rebel. But for that day, being a rebel was not cool. To rebel was meant to rebel, to be against. And you didn't want to be a rebel because in that day, what it meant was you were rebelling and uh, took a next step of you're rebelling against your faith. You were rebelling against your religion. And so to call a Jew a rebel, that meant they forsook their, their faith in God and they were without a God. Now, Today's culture, you know, we look around and we see that uh, there's much of a godlessness going around. You know, a religion is kind of, um, you know, kind of touchy. You know, it's like, you know, do we really need it? Do we really not? So there's really attention. But in that day, everyone had a god. Everyone worshipped something. Everyone had a god. And if you didn't have a god, you're almost looked at like you're crazy. Like, what do you? How do you not have a god? Because to have a god meant you you had to rely on someone beyond yourself, one to water your crops, one to make sure you're provided for, and who else were you going to worship? That was just what it was. And so to be a rebel, to be without God was a big deal. And to put that name onto someone, to rename them as a rebel, to give them that identity, meant that they really were foolish to be without a God. So, so we get, now we, we start to see this question of, okay, why is Jesus going to such great lengths? Why is he, why is this, uh, why is he going to such great lengths to tell this uh, in this sermon? And the reason is because he's really harping at the heart issue uh, of this. He's really getting to that it's really about what's happening in our hearts, not just the external actions. Now, as we think about uh, our interpersonal relationships, you know, we're, we're all human. And with that, uh, and we have rela uh, relations with each other and we have friendships and relationships. We, we know that without, uh, with, as time passes, there's going to be conflicts. 
right? There's going to be there's going to be issues that come up, but how we deal with those issues is really um, is really um, how we go about it. How do we do it in a godly way? So Jesus gives some some advice, and I and I love what he says here. He says, therefore. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, uh, because everyone worshiped, you'd go and, and uh, you would offer something. If you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. So what he's saying is, is if, there, if there's an issue, you're going to worship. I think for, for us, it would be like, you're coming here to, to Faithbrook here on Sunday. You're, you're coming in. He's saying, actually, it would be better to stop. Before you come in and join in, it would be better to go and reconcile. Go reconcile with that person in your community. If there's an issue, go reconcile with them. Make things right. Then come and worship God. And I think what we, what we see here uh, is this, is that if we, if we refuse to reconcile with others, we can kill our relationship with God. If we refuse to reconcile with others, we can kill our relationship with God. You see, it's, it's hard to love God when, when we don't love other people, when we can't love the human relationships around us. And I think what we see here in, with Jesus' words that God uh, doesn't just care about our relationship with him. He doesn't just care about this, but he also cares about our, uh, what our relationships with others are like. He cares about uh, those relationships, especially those within our church community. And, and, and I think what, God is, uh, what Jesus is really getting at is that part of learning to love God is really learning how to love others as well. Now, as he's saying this, this is a huge rebuke to, the, to the, the Pharisees. This is a huge rebuke to them. He's really calling them out as they're sitting there and they're listening. You see, they don't, they don't focus, they didn't focus on their relationships with, with their uh, fellow humans. You see, they were so concerned uh, with their outward appearance and how they looked and how they held up all those laws. They're so, they so concerned about how they looked that they didn't really uh, consider their relationships with their, with their fellow man. You see, they, they thought that if they, if they weren't committing physical murder, well, they're good. So what, what happened was they had a lot of personal conflicts. They had a lot of hatred. There was a lot of strife. Uh, there was a lot of insults. And, and those were left to fester uh, amongst them. I mean, could you imagine if, uh, if Pastor Jim had uh, just a lot of relational issues with everyone here? I mean, he's going around calling people names. And those things aren't being reconciled. Could you imagine the tension that we would have that we would come in? I mean, so that's kind of what was going on. So it would be these Pharisees look great on the outside. They look great. They look like they're doing all the right things. But man, their communities were, were just not good. And there's a lot of uh, interpersonal relationships going on. But they thought it was okay. The Pharisees didn't really care because they weren't concerned with the heart. They were concerned with the external uh, actions. And so for them, they had a clear conscience. They, they thought, well, I'm doing all the things. I'm good to go. But the relationships were just in utter turmoil. And I think for, for us, you know, we, as we have our relationships with our, with our families and with our coworkers and uh, maybe just other people we interact, interact with, uh, we, we have these, we have interactions every day. And conflict is just going to come up. Like there's going to be things that are coming up. And, and Jesus makes it a point that, you know, before we, before we go to worship, are we dealing with these interpersonal relationships? Are we dealing with them? Are we reconciling with our brothers and sisters? You see, we praise God. We come to praise God for his love, for his mercy, and his kindness. In a lot of ways, God is calling us to live out the same way. 
So how do we actually uh, deal with this conflict? So we, we recognize that there's conflict, recognize that there's issues in our life. How do we actually approach this? Well, Jesus continues, and, and I think verses uh, 25 and 26 just gives us some good insight on how to actually uh, go through this. So this is what he says. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, in this little situation here, you can imagine there's two people. They're, they're on their way to, to court, and uh, one guy is uh, taking the other guy for something uh, that, they, that they did. And, and what he's saying is, he's saying, settle it before you even get before the judge. Settle it. Just try to settle matters as quickly as you can. Now, I'm not sure... How many of us here are in legal battles? Uh, I'm not sure if we, if we have uh, legal disputes with each other. I think we uh, are pretty, pretty good here, I think. Uh, but, uh, but if there is a dispute, you know, how, do we, how do we handle it? And I think there's, uh, there's three good things I think we can pull from, from this passage that we can, uh, that we can see. Uh, the first thing I think that we see right away is one, don't ignore, uh, don't ignore it. So we don't want to ignore the conflict. Uh, I love the, the message. Uh, the message translation says, don't lose a minute. I think that's really great. Just, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't let it slip by. And, and there's a sense of a, if you notice a conflict that is coming up, there's something that is between you and another person, don't ignore it. Now, I know uh, being here, uh, moving here to the Midwest, uh, I noticed uh, you guys, um, I'm making a general statement. So, uh, okay. I noticed that uh, you guys tend to like to sweep things under the rug and maybe even act out with passive aggressiveness. That's kind of a, something I'm, I'm learning. Uh, being from California, we're a lot more upfront, but there's a lot more passive aggressiveness happening. Uh, but Jesus says, no, no, don't do that. Actually deal with it. Don't, don't ignore it. Bring it up. Uh, so he's saying, uh, he's saying if you put off the, if you put it off, the issue is only going to get worse. So don't, don't let it go ignored. The second thing we see is do it as soon as possible. Uh, again, the message has a, a great word. It says, make the first move. So if there's an issue, you know, make the first move. Approach someone. Settle, uh, settle the issue. And I think a practical way to do this is, is really to contact the person. You know, if, there's a, if you have an issue with someone, uh, make time to talk about the, what the conflict at hand is. You know, I think we hear sometimes that time will heal a wound. We think that sometimes if we just kind of let it pass, the time will go away. But that is actually not true. Time will not heal these kinds of wounds. So he's saying, you know, uh, don't let the issue uh, fester. Don't let it uh, get worse than what it is. Deal with it. Do it as soon as possible. And the third thing that uh, we see from this passage is to settle the issue. And again, the message says to make things right. And I, I just love that. You see... A lot of times there's some conflicts and there's some, uh, some issues that come up. And sometimes it can be that we want to be right. We want to be on the right side of it. And, and, but the point is, it's not about being right or wrong. Settle the matter. Make it right. And so as we go about this, you know, we can go at it with a calm or reserved heart. You know, are we willing to listen, hear their point of view? Are we willing to, uh, to ask questions, to gain clarity? Maybe there's something that, that we don't understand. Uh, you know, no name calling, don't blame. It's not about that. It's really about settling uh, the issue and settling things so that we have healthier relationships. Now, we see that, that Jesus teaches us that these uh, grievances, even if they're against us, uh, and, and if we have them against others, uh, they, they have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. And it requires urgent uh, action on our, on our part. 
So we see that uh, as Jesus is bringing up the sixth, of, of ten, the sixth commandment of do not murder, it's really about taking action with this. It, what, it, what it really is saying is don't let it get to the point of murder is almost what it, what it, uh, what it could say. And it really requires this, uh, this idea of, of uh, loving our neighbors, truly, truly loving our neighbors as ourselves, and really making peace with one another. And I, and I think when we, when we adopt Jesus' attitude uh, of this, you know, we can, uh, it really does shape our hearts. It really does make it in such a way where we really are becoming hearers and doers of, of, his, of his word. Now, I'm going to throw in a, a, a small caveat here. And it's this, that sometimes, sometimes we may have conflicts with others. Sometimes things come up and the other person doesn't want to reconcile. Right? Maybe sometimes we have this, say, you, you bring it up and say, hey, uh, maybe you're apologizing or maybe you say, hey, I recognize there's something up. What's, did I do something? Like, what, what's going on? And sometimes the other person doesn't want to reconcile. So does that mean that, uh, that you're really killing your relationship with God? Well, no, not, not really. The point that Jesus is really getting at is make the move is to, to make the effort to reconcile. Are you doing everything on your side of the, uh, of the issue? Are you doing your part to reconcile? And because what we find is that you really can't control the other person's response. You, you have no control over what they're going to say or do um, back, but you can on your part go and you can uh, try to make things right and to settle the matter. So here, here's just a, a little challenge for this next week of uh, just for us as we as we going and we're uh, thinking about how how we apply this. Um, who who is so something for us to ask ourselves is who do you need to resolve a conflict with? You know, is there is there a conflict big or small? Doesn't matter. Is there someone in your life that uh, that you have a conflict with? Do you need to to re- resolve it? Maybe you anticipate a conflict coming up. Maybe you anticipate something that's, that you need to address and you have to uh, approach this and you need to talk to someone about something that maybe you have uh, with them. You know, who, who is this? And uh, who is this person that you need to resolve this conflict with? And, and the key here is really about being intentionality. And what we get at here is that if we don't do this, if we aren't intentional in resolving our, our conflicts, we recognize that they can, they can fester. They become big issues. They can really cause relational strife and issues within our relationships. And not only does it affect our relationships with others, but it also affects our relationship with God as well. So I just want you to think for a moment, you know, what would it, what would it look like in your own life if you were to handle conflicts and disputes in just a really godly way? What would that look like in your life? What would that look like to not have to sweep things under the rug, to be passive aggressive? What would it look like to actually uh, settle and uh, deal with the conflicts that we have? How would, what, would that, what would that look like? Because I, I think, you know, we definitely can agree that, you know, conflicts aren't foreign to us. Right? Conflicts aren't foreign. We're, we're going to have one at some point. You know, even for, for Jen and myself, you know, there's conflicts there as well. And as I mentioned, we have our sweet, sweet baby girl and, you know, conflicts has come up for Jen and I. And my favorite one has been, which swaddle is the best one to use? Which, which swaddle? Now, it's funny, but in the moment, it isn't. But, you know, for us, you know, being able to, you know, we, we have a conflict over which swaddle. Which swaddle do we use? And see, it, something that for Jen and I, we, we recognize is that, you know, conflicts are coming up. Things are coming up, how we're going to deal with, with things with our little baby girl. And, uh, but we recognize that we need, to, we need to settle our matters. And, you know, we really make it a point that when something comes up, we take the time, we talk about it. 
We, we don't ignore it. We bring it up. In fact, we, you know, we, we try to bring it up as soon as possible. We want to talk through it. Because ultimately, we, we recognize if we don't, it really affects everything else. It affects even how we act towards our little baby girl. It affects how we uh, re- respond to other people. And so for us, we, we realize that if we don't deal with the things with us, if, we, if Jen and I don't work on what's going on with us, then it really does affect others around us. And we, and we find that, that if we agree, uh, that one thing we do agree on is that if our relationship is solid, if our relationship is, is working on it, we're trying to uh, improve it and do well, we can, we can model that for our baby girl. We can model that for Evie. And that's something that she grows up, she can see mom and dad uh, interacting in such a, a way. And, and I think something we also recognize for Jen and I, we realize that, that our, our conflicts uh, um, interact the way we, we deal with God as well. Because we, we know that if we refuse to reconcile with others, we can really kill a relationship with God. So how different would our everyday lives look? How, how would it look if we were intentional in resolving our conflicts? How, how would your marriage be different? If uh, those of you that are married, you know, how, how would it uh, look to um, interact with your friends? You know, maybe your kids or your grandkids. What, what does that look like? You know, what, what would it look like to be able to deal with the conflicts at work? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe other friendships, your neighbors. See, I, I really do believe that, uh, that Jesus does want what's best, and he really does want us to live out this, this command and this teaching because when we live out in such a way, it really does affect, and it can have a major, major impact, and we can see God just do incredible things through us. I mean, could you imagine if, if the world who doesn't know God if they would see how we would interact with one another, that we could settle our disputes, that we actually treated with one another with love, imagine the impact that would have. Imagine, imagine them be able to see that and see the way that we, we deal with one another is a representation of how God deals with us. I think the, the impact would just be phenomenal. And I think it would be so impactful. And I think that is something for us that we definitely can live and, and aspire to. So as we go, I want to encourage us to, to stand together as we get ready to go today, and I'd love to pray a prayer, a blessing for us. God, I just pray um, over, over our, our congregation, over our community, and Lord, may, may we really be hearers and doers of your word, and may we hear the things that you say as we read, and may we really uh, take it to heart, may it really change us, may our hearts be transformed from the inside out, and may we actually do what you, you, you command, and as we leave today, and we, uh, as we have uh, relationships with other people, as, as conflicts arise, God, may we be reminded, may your spirit remind us to, to be able to handle uh, things in a godly way. May we handle our conflicts in such a way that, that uh, is godly, that is honoring you uh, in that. So Lord, will you bless us as we go, and may we have uh, a great week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it was so good, so good to uh, be worshiping with everyone today. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back next week. Have a great, great one. God bless.